kind of a weird day for Chinese markets where it seems the best explanation for crude, wheat, and commodities taking a nosedive is a halt of production and business in Shanghai as COVID spreads still. But then the FXI Big China ETF was up on the day. So was K-Web. What's going on? Let's bring in Hugh Roberts, head of analytics at Quant Insight. He was watching the Chinese stocks. And uh, Hugh, it's been a really interesting couple weeks. Uh, but ever since that big relief rally, uh, when she announced some new lessening of oversight, these stocks have gone nowhere. Uh, so what happens next? Well, it's a really interesting point because the approach that we have at Quant Insight is exclusively macro. So we model a load of economic variables, economic growth, inflation expectations, Love it. credit spreads, strength of the dollar, that kind of stuff. And when that's not driving price action, it's down to some other kind of idiosyncratic risk. And obviously in the case of China, that's been about politics and the regulatory stuff. Mm. As you say, it feels now like the regulatory stuff has maybe pivoted a little bit and it's trying to become a bit more friendly. So if we can get a little bit of kind of uh, daylight on that side, that might mean that macro fundamentals come back into play. And certainly on our models, a lot of the bad news is now priced in. We're just, we have the most cheap valuations relative to model. What we're missing at the moment, to your point, is that catalyst that mm. just brings in the new marginal buying. The spark, uh, COVID shutdowns are certainly not going to be a bullish spark. It doesn't seem. But then again, tech companies sure did great during COVID. But has that trade run its course? What the heck is going on there? How have they not figured this thing out? Yeah, I think the, the COVID and the, the, the zero COVID policy clearly is not um, yeah. friendly. It's definitely a headwind, not a tailwind. I think actually the biggest variable that we should be watching for people who are kind of sharpening their pencils and looking to kind of get back into China exposure will be whether we see a more aggressive policy response from Beijing. They've started to flirt a little bit. We've had you know, a couple of marginal RRR cuts. Uh, there's been a little bit of stimulus um, in the banking sector, but it's nothing like we've seen in previous years, certainly after the global financial crisis when, when you know, China really rode to the rescue of the rest of the global cycle. Um, we need to see something more aggressive, I suspect. If you're looking for a catalyst, I think it's going to be the policy stance in Beijing. Does that policy stance pivot further away from our own central bank? Is uh, the Chinese central bank going to uh, take advantage of our rate hiking paradigm and present an alternative and say, come here, invest here. We got money still flowing out of the spigots. I wouldn't be at all surprised if that's one card they consider playing. Um, I think that is you know, something that they can definitely do. I mean, they, they seem reluctant because obviously the motivation behind the, the red lines and the, uh, the common prosperity and all the stuff we've been seeing for the last kind of 12, 15 months was to try and get in front of some of what they perceive to be kind of societal imbalances. You know, they didn't want big tech uh, running amok like they perceive it to do in the West. Um, they don't want a real estate bubble and the, the ructions that that's caused in the West. Um, so they're, they're trying to, to, to balance lots of things, but um, I suspect that explains why they've gone easy in terms of policy stimulus thus far. But I think the data is getting more and more of a nature where they're going to have to respond and respond harder. Hmm. Uh, uh, Hugh, uh, walk us through some of that data in your model and some of those metrics you mentioned at the top, the macro stuff we were just talking about, currencies, inflation. How does that general picture look 
uh, compared to the U.S. Here, we've gotten a pretty clear message from Powell, for example. We know what to watch, right? We know he's really focused on employment. So as long as those numbers are hitting and inflation's above, we pretty much know his plan. What are the key data points to think about for China in trying to foresee what they will do? Yeah, just a quick one on the U.S. one. Our models are very interesting on the U.S. equities because I know there's lots of different um, narratives around trying to explain price action, not just today, but for the last 10 days. Yeah. But actually, we've had um, we've got good explanatory power on SPY, on the Qs, on, on Russell, um, and we had them all as cheap for the last two weeks. But mm. what's what's interesting is that as we've caught up in this rally, is the drivers of the U.S. equity market, they actually they're comfortable with Fed rate hikes on our showing on the current patterns, as long as the Fed are measured, so if we go back to your, your, your last conversation, if we get a 75 or 100, then all bets are off. <laughs> but if they go in a measured way and they keep real rates negative and they don't prompt a big risk off move that sees VIX spike higher again and blows credit spreads up once more, that's actually a combination that works pretty well for U.S. equities at the moment, mm. um, and you've seen, I think, that that kind of act, that kind of climb the wall of worry almost. Price action is what's panned out over the last week and a bit. Do you think investors have to choose right now between U.S. stocks and international plays, uh, U.S. versus EM or U.S. versus China, and the uh, uh, trade around uh, China that many have said is overdue for outperformance? A lot of folks come into this year saying. EM is going to be a great trade, but uh, it hasn't really outperformed too much. Uh, and especially after this U.S. rally, does it bring the money back home? What do you think that trade-off looks like here? I think you're absolutely right. I think the start of 2022, a lot of people's playbook, it was the end of American exceptionalism. <laughs> and it was the year that after so many years of outperformance, the people were looking to divest overseas a bit more. Um, and I think that made a lot of sense, especially if you believed in the, you know, the kind of rotation, the value growth rotation. You know, the UK is always a great value play. Japan's a great value play. They have more financials, more resource um, names within the uh, the headline indices. So I think in January that was very much where the flow was going. Um, but listening to your earlier conversation again, I think it, it ties up with the dollar conversation um, in terms of the capital flow there. And I think there's been a sharp unwind of the money that was going overseas and hoping that this might be the year that Western Europe, EM more broadly, frontier markets, if you're feeling particularly uh, punchy, all might have a little bit of a, of a run. But I think you know the, the commodity angle has obviously created some sharp winners and losers. It's a clear transfer from energy producers to energy consumers, mm. ditto on the food side. Um, and in, in these situations, then yeah, the, the, the dollar is still king and you know, people will, will, will vote with their feet. Uh, Hugh, before I let you go, just real quick, if we see the dollar follow the breakout in treasury yields, does that get in the way of the stock rally or do we now have evidence they can all live in harmony? Yeah, that's interesting. So on our relationships at the moment, it depends very much on which sector you're looking at and the, the single names. But at the moment, a strong dollar is not a problem. The pattern that we're picking up, and we have a 12-month rolling history, and we use the dollar trade weighted in all our U.S. equity models, and a strong dollar at the moment is not a headwind. Mm. But that's something that we're going to be watching really closely. We update uh, intraday. We use daily frequency data so we can spot these patterns changing, you know, flipping from positive to negative. So at the moment, it's, there's, there's no red light, but I agree totally. It's got to be a tail risk that should be on everyone's radar. Uh, Hugh, interesting conversation. Looking forward to more and looking forward to following up. Thanks for being here. Thank you. You got it, Hugh Roberts, uh, joining up some Quant Inside.